It seems as if I need the silence more than ever now so that I can find a place to eliminate as much as possible all the distracting voices around me and to listen to the one voice, capital V, which I find I need more and more, a wisdom for guidance to help me find my way through which has nothing to do right now with what I'm about to tell you, but I bought a new weed trimmer yesterday. Let me explain. Weed trimmers are the bane of my existence. They never seem to work for me, and they never seem to perform to my expectations or the expectations as advertised. Now, maybe I'm too trusting. Maybe when I read on the outside of the box what this weed trimmer is supposed to do, I trust that will be the case when I'm using it, and I trust it will do what it says to do. So when I give it to Linda to work in the yard, I expect it to work. So I bought this weed trimmer yesterday and put it to work, and for some reason it has not measured up to my expectations. Now, I say all that to say this isn't about weed trimmers. That's the least of our concerns, but... I say that to get into this, trust. I think we are in a place right now in which we are desperately looking for something or someone to trust in, to count on. We aren't sure we can trust institutions as much. We're told not to trust the media, and we continually feel as if we can't trust anything that originates from government or Congress. So we're left looking and searching for a way forward, a way through, a way to follow. And before you get nervous and anxious, this is not a political sermon. So you can rest assured at that right now. But politics is part of life, and we are part of life. And how we move into life is important, and who we trust and what we trust is important. I think we're looking for a way that helps us make sense of all that's going on around us, a way that gives us clarity, understanding, direction, even hope, and even life. And in many ways, we're much like Thomas in our scripture passage this morning, where he simply asks Jesus, how can we know the way? How can we know the way, the way to live, the way to respond, the way to be, the way to be present to all that is going on in our lives and in our world? And when we're not sure about what way to follow, we find ourselves, I find myself, bouncing from personal preference to political position to the last opinion piece in the newspaper to the most recent social media posting to the most recent book I've read. We find ourselves adrift in this sea of confusion, this sea of opinion, without peace, without clarity, not knowing what to do or who to trust. That may not be your experience, but it is mine. So who do we trust? What do we do? How do we find our way. We often think that Jesus' disciples lived in this sort of serene, idyllic time. We see the pictures, and they're out on a lake fishing as if they had nothing else to do but just fish and sit around fires and talk and, 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 and hang out with Jesus. But in fact, they lived in a very tumultuous and chaotic time. They literally lived under this occupying army and government, the Roman Empire, who used intimidation and execution as a way to keep the peace. When you hear the words Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, there was a way they kept the peace of Rome. And they had crosses and crucifixions along the roads and the byways that as you walked to and from town, you were reminded everything's going to be fine if you just keep in line. And if you don't, well, this is what will happen to you. 
They couldn't trust the religious authorities anymore, the disciples couldn't. The Pharisees were into excluding others, um, and excessive purity was the norm, while the Sadducees were in cahoots with uh, the Roman government. So you couldn't trust your, your folks who were there to lead you and guide you and lead you in the way of God. Life was constant oppression, taxes, fear of arrest, stripped of one's dignity and value. And underneath all of this, this constant simmering anger that looked for ways to avenge their plight or bring retribution upon their oppressors. In fact, there was probably no one more disappointed in Jesus than his own disciples who thought at some point he would use violent means and a violent end to overturn everything. When in fact, when it came time for him to die, when it came time for him to be executed, he turned everything on its head and he simply said this, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it took so long for the disciples to understand that. It took so long for the church to figure that one out. And I'm still not sure at times we've actually quite figured it out. It's a work in process. Jesus will never be captivated by our own ideologies. Jesus will never be captivated by our own expectations. Jesus will do what Jesus wants to do. But here's the thing. It leads to life. It leads to the way that needs to be followed. Jesus said to his disciples, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. These are the words we long to hear, the words we need to hear. Don't be troubled. It was about this time uh, last week that uh, Linda and I were riding along the north coast of Jamaica. We had left Highgate. We were heading to our hotel there on the other side of Montego Bay, and we had hired a a fellow named Dennis, who was our driver, wonderful young man, probably late 20s, uh, agricultural researcher. His wife's a, a pharmacist, have a little baby, and uh, he does this on the side. His father uh, is, runs transportation for medical teams and mission teams that come down to Jamaica. So he was just helping them out for the weekend. So as we're on the way, we're coming out of Highgate. The first thing he says to us, he says, it's really unfortunate what's happened. And where are you from, he said? I said, North Carolina. It's really unfortunate what's happened in North Carolina. One of the beauties of being in Highgate, no Wi-Fi, no Internet, no outside world. I said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And then he got the state mixed up. He says, well, what's the other state? He couldn't remember. I said, well, there's South Carolina and there's Virginia. He says, yes, it's Virginia. And then he proceeded to tell us everything that had happened as he had heard it. And as, as, as we were riding, all of a sudden this, this seclusion, this, this monastery of the soul that we had been in for two or three days seemed shattered. And I was troubled. I know Linda was troubled. And it's in those moments I began to ask myself, who or what do I find a way? Sometimes I think I don't do enough. Sometimes I think I do way too much. And I desperately try to find this way forward as to how to be and how to live. But that's why these words of Jesus give me encouragement. Don't be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This is not an invitation to deny the realities of life. Rather, it's an invitation to move from living a constantly troubled life and enter into a trusting life in which we lean into Jesus and we follow Him. Now, Thomas asks this question, how can we know the way? Jesus responds, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now, we've often heard that evangelistically, and that's nothing wrong with that. But how did they hear this? 
They meaning the disciples. They meaning the ones who would have read John's gospel. Eventually us. This is where definitions are important. So just hang on just for a few moments. The word for way in the New Testament is actually a word that is pronounced hodos. H-O-D-O-S. That is the word for way. The word for exodus in the New Testament is a word that is spelled E-X-H-O-D-O-S. Exodos. That's where you get in Greek the exodus. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that they, quote, spoke about his departure, and the word for departure is exodos, or exodus, or way out. Jesus' death, if you will then, I think as they heard this word, Jesus as the way, they put that together with exodos, the way out. In many ways, Jesus' death is the new exodus. It is the way out of oppression towards liberation. It is the way out of enslavement and the way to freedom. Not just a physical one, as the case of the Israelites, but one in which our hearts and souls are set free from this oppression, this enslavement to our old ways of thinking, to our old ways of living, and we are liberated to live in a new and different way, a way that is freedom. So in our text this morning, when John wrote that Jesus is the way, they would have heard this, that Jesus is the way out of our own oppression that Jesus is the way out of our own enslavement, that Jesus is the way out of our own addiction, that Jesus is the way out and the way through towards freedom and life. To follow Jesus, to live as Jesus invites us to live, is a way out of everything that just keeps grabbing us back in, about everything that keeps enslaving us to old ways of thinking. To follow Jesus is a way out of that and a way through, and it literally is a way into freedom. So for all of us, for the whole world, for God so loved the world, that's important, that world, that word world is cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, everything, Jesus is the way to a different way of living, a different way of being in the world, a different way of responding to life, even when life is troubling. It's a way that we can trust, a way that is trustworthy, a way that we can stake our life on it, a way that is true and right and one that brings life, energy, and vitality So when I read what Jesus says, when I read what Jesus teaches, when I look at what Jesus does, when Jesus invites me to live that way, what I begin to realize is I can trust that that way works. And I can trust that that is the way to abundant life. I don't have to go looking for abundant life. I don't have to create an abundant life. If I live in the way of Jesus, I experience the abundant life. When I forgive, when I love my enemies, when I pray in silence, when I'm not judging others, when I am simply living as the Sermon on the Mount invites me to live, this is the way Jesus intended it to be. So Jesus as the way is not just an evangelistic verse with the ultimate destination being heaven. There's nothing wrong with that, but Jesus as the way is this invitation to trust that living in the way of Jesus is true and the right way to live, and it's a way that brings life and vitality to our souls. And it's not just about world problems, by the way. Think about how if I lived in the way of Jesus, how it begins to set right and true and brings life to all of my relationships as a parent, as a friend, as a pastor, as a husband, as a spouse. In the daily nitty-gritty of life, living in the way of Jesus begins to set things right and set things true and put us on the way to life. And it might be, rather, that we don't actually lack information I once heard a speaker say at a conference years ago, this speaker always had these little one-liners, you know, the ones that you wish you would come up with, 
the ones that uh, you remember. Obviously, it worked because I remember it. But he had this really good one-liner. He said, we are educated way beyond our level of obedience. In other words, you don't need more information. We are an information-based society. We don't need more information. Maybe what we lack is imagination. Mark Scandrett, who is a writer, a speaker, a pastor, writes this in his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. Imagine a life of complete trust and contentment, a life without anger, jealousy, or lust, a life where every moment is lived in response to the loving heart of God. One step toward experiencing life in the kingdom is to have a vision for what is possible and to want what is possible. Practicing the way of Jesus begins with having an imagination for life in the kingdom of love, desiring that life, and then taking steps to live into that reality through tangible changes in how we live in our minds and our bodies. So a couple questions. First, what kind of life do you imagine for yourself? What vision do you have for your life? Less anger? Less jealousy? Less addictiveness to whatever you're attached to? Do you want to be more loving? Do you want to be more patient? Do you want to be more forgiving? What kind of life do you imagine for yourself? What do you envision? Who do you want to become? And trust that the way of Jesus will get you there. The second question is this. Imagine what kind of world you want to live in. And then create in partnership with God this world. Is it a world with less bigotry? Is it a world with less racism and hate? Is it a world in which there is less violence and more peacemaking and peace building? Can you imagine a world in which everyone is seen as created in God's image and valued deeply because they are all children of God? Can you imagine that? I can on my better days. On my worst days, I sometimes think this isn't going to happen, but then I realize then Jesus invites me to think and believe and envision differently. One of the, one of the most special moments when we were at the Jamaica Yearly Meeting, I spoke on Sunday morning, and as part of my talk, I talked about the fractiousness of society, I talked about the brokenness of society, and how I had actually experienced that personally, Linda, and on all of you, I said, we have yearly meetings that are separated and have split. We have fractiousness there. You know, I talked about how countries and nations seem fractioned, uh, uh, fractious and, and separated and, 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 and just disunited. And so I sat down, and after, after I spoke, uh, the pastor from Worthington Friends in Kingston, who is from the state, stood up and essentially invited Linda and I and another American, uh, Julie Payton, from Oregon with FWCC to come to the front and to have the Jamaicans come pray for us. And literally what they did is just what you all did for the children. They all came forward, a few of them, and just laid hands on us while he and they prayed. And the reason I say that is the shift in me was we're always coming to other countries saying, what can we do for you? We have never asked the question, what can you do for us? And I came to realize that mission isn't about what we do for others. It's about what we do with others. If you noticed, by the way, in your bulletin, I called the Belize trip a service learning trip. I did that consciously and intentionally because I realized that every time we walk through that door at 12.05, you go into mission. Every time you walk through those doors, you are on a mission trip, a mission trip for God, a mission of reconciliation, 
a mission of love, a mission of forgiveness, a mission of healing, a mission of restoring this world to the way that God intended. And so when we accept that Jesus is the way, when Jesus, that Jesus' life and teaching show us the way towards making this happen, it is the way of loving God and loving our neighbors. It is the way of loving our enemies. It's the way of going the extra mile with those that sometimes we despise or at least we find irritable. It is the way of forgiveness and reconciliation, the way of prayer, the way of solitude. It is the way, one of Jesus' last words, of surrendering to God's will and not simply always enforcing our will. This is why living in community is so essential to living in the way of Jesus. It's in community that we practice with one another living in the way of Jesus. We encourage one another the kinds of practices that we need to live faithfully. We, we, in, in a community, we're, we're meant to encourage one another, build one another up, love one another, and sometimes even admonish one another. It's through living in community that we're called to practice what we preach. And it's also a way in which we not only live in the way of Jesus, but we live in the Quaker way to practice simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and stewardship, and imagine with one another what that can look like in our world. In essence, living in community is like a living laboratory. It's where we practice what we want to become. One of the best places we can practice loving one another is right here. One of the best places we can practice forgiving one another is often right here. One of the best places we can often practice uh, forbearance and, and putting up with one another, that's basically what it means, is right here. It starts here, and then we can practice with one another. And as we practice, we then carry this into the places in which we live. And maybe this can be part of the small groups we've mentioned. Start your own small group and imagine with others what it would look like to live in a world that practices peace, to live in a world that practices social justice, to to live in a world that practices life for the defenseless, hope for those that are addicted, companionship for the lonely, healthy relationships and marriages. We have this one group, for example, called Couples Tune-Up that we meet. There's about, I think, 10 to 12 of us that meet. It's open to anyone. But what we're simply doing is we're getting together, encouraging one another on how we can have better relationships and better marriages. We don't claim to have it perfect. I'm in the group. That should tell you something. We don't claim to have it perfect. But what we do is we get together because we know we're not perfect. But we have a vision and a dream that we can be better, and we do it in the way of Jesus. We know that will affect how we relate to one another as spouses. Brian Zahn is a writer, a pastor that I quote quite a bit. I like what he has to say here. Our task, our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ. Our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Christ. Is what we're offering beautiful? Is what we're offering giving life? Is what we're offering a dream and a vision of how things can be better? Is what we're offering living in the way of Jesus that leads to a way that is true, that leads to a way that is right, that leads to a way that is full of life. It feels troubling at times, I know, but Jesus said, don't be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You want to see God? Look at me. This is what God looks like. You want to see the kingdom? Look at my actions. This is what the kingdom looks like. You want to no longer be lost in your confusion Follow me. I'll show you the way out, and I'll show you the way through, and I will show you the way forward. 
And I promise you, he says, you will live abundantly.